This podcast is from Christian Chapel in Tulsa, Oklahoma. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com. Good morning. My name is Chris. I'm the pastor here at Christian Chapel, and I'm thrilled that you're joining us today. This morning, we're continuing a series of messages that we've called Inheritance, Stories That Shape Us. Over the course of this summer, we've explored numerous Old Testament stories of men and women who had profound and meaningful relationships with the Lord. We've seen that through Christ, we are not only brought into the family of God, but we now receive these not just as stories or examples to follow, but these are our spiritual inheritance. These are the stories that shape us. They're the stories that have echoes of our lives in them. This morning, Pastor Titus, our youth pastor, is going to come and share with us. I'm so excited for you to hear from him. Titus and his wife, Rachel, are doing an amazing job with our chapel youth. We're so thankful God has led them here. Parents, if your kids are in that 7th through 12th grade range, you've got to do whatever it takes to get them up here on Sundays, get them up here on Wednesdays, get them plugged into chapel youth, and they will begin to experience the life-changing nature of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Will you please help me welcome Pastor Titus this morning. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Christian Chapel. Like Pastor Chris said, my name is Titus Schmidt, and I had the awesome opportunity and privilege in March of stepping in interim as a youth pastor here at Christian Chapel, and then into a full-time role in June with my awesome wife, Rachel. I can't tell you guys or begin to tell you what an honor it's been to serve alongside each and every single one of you and get to know your kids better as well. And we are just thoroughly, thoroughly humbled and honored to be here at Christian Chapel, just like we've been honored to be here since we've been coming here, which for me was in 2017. I came in when I was in the middle of college. A good friend that goes to Christian Chapel brought me here. And since then, I've just made some awesome relationships, awesome connections, and I'm so honored that I've been able to get to know you guys. Before I was youth pastor here, I was a teacher, Union Public Schools, seventh grade, uh, geography teacher, sixth and seventh grade center. So uh, when I say that I am used to talking to a group of people and for them to not regard a thing that I have to say, I am totally comfortable. Now, I don't plan on that being the case this morning because one, you're not seventh graders, most of you. And two, we're in the house of God. Amen? Amen. Amen. We're going we're gonna to do a little response this morning. I want to I make you guys feel like you're in chapel youth a little bit because I'm the youth pastor of chapel youth. So just maybe wiggle around a little bit and we'll get going, okay? We are in this sermon series called Inheritance, the stories that shape us where we've learned spiritual DNA that we get from our ancestors, the spiritual mother and fathers that have come before us. We first talked about Noah and the inheritance of righteousness that we receive from him, Abraham and the inheritance of faith, Joseph and the inheritance of favor, where time and time again, Joseph was put in trial after trial and stuck true to his commitment to God, and God shown his truthfulness through Joseph's life. Last week, we had an awesome message from Pastor Lauren and Pastor Chris Godfrey on David, the worshiper, and this week, I'm so excited to bring you the story of Daniel. And what we receive from Daniel is an inheritance of standing out. There's a couple reasons I really like the story of Daniel. Number one, I think it's super applicable to our youth in the room. If you are 7th or 12th grade, give me, a, give me a wave. Give me a, hey, I'm here. 
There we go. It's very applicable. Daniel, at the time of the Babylonian captivity, was about 16 to 17 years of age. A young man, but it shows that you don't have to be totally graduated to adult, totally knowledgeable in all of the wisdom that is to know of God, to be doing the work that God wants you to do. I think these are amazing stories that we're going to look at in Daniel that show us this. Number two, Daniel, time and time again, was absolutely unashamed of who he stood for in the culture with which he stood and the God that he served. And I'm so excited to be able to talk about a couple of those stories. The first of these stories today is we are going to look at Daniel in commitment. And that's our first point. I need everybody to say point number one. Point number one, there we go. Point number one is standing out in commitment. Now, in Daniel chapter one, the Near Eastern Babylonian Empire has invaded Israel, taken over Israel, and the king, King Nebuchadnezzar at the time, needs some of young men from the nobility, the royal families of Israel, to represent him in his court. Now, he picks the strongest, most athletic, most intelligent, and it says they were good-looking young men too. And I think looking back at the message yesterday or last week from David, we can see kind of a common theme, right? These guys were good-looking. Not necessarily a prerequisite, okay, and God, all right? But we can see that not only was this something, okay, that was similar, but much more importantly, they had other things that were in common, which was they were very intelligent in the things that they studied, and they were true to God's word. Now, at this time of Babylonian captivity, when Daniel and his friends are in Babylon serving King Nebuchadnezzar, they are assimilating themselves into the culture. Now, I think there's a huge parallel that we can give to our lives today where we exist and we live in a culture that doesn't necessarily embrace God. In fact, rejects God most of the time. And I know I don't have to go through a laundry list of examples, but especially young people, the culture tempts us with things that aren't of God, that aren't of scripture, whether it's drugs, sex, drinking, partying, all of these things that are not of God. But what I feel like I've seen creep in to the culture, especially in modern times, is this temptation of division, this temptation of difference where if we don't 100% agree with every single thing, that somebody else agrees or believes in, well, we can't associate with them. We can't be friends with them. And as Christians, we're called to be different. We're called to be higher. And Daniel, even though he was in this culture, he got to a point where he said, I will not forsake my God. And that's what we see in this first example with commitment. You see, King Nebuchadnezzar, they were to learn the literature. King Nebuchadnezzar wanted Daniel and his kings to learn the literature, become more understanding in Babylonian education. And they were also to eat the food and drink the wine that the king presented. Now this is where Daniel drew the line, as we're going to see in this first point. And using historical context, I want to give you a few reasons why. Number one, Daniel was not going to eat food because that food was first offered, most likely, on a sacrifice, as a sacrifice on an idol to a pagan deity. The wine that Daniel would have been given and the king's nobility would have been given would have been poured on the feet of a pagan deity right before given to Daniel. Daniel was not going to 
consecrate himself in this way. Third and most important, the meat that Daniel and his friends were to eat was not consecrated before the Lord. It was not slaughtered and prepared according to Israelite law. So to do these things were to defile Daniel. They were to defile. So what he does is he goes straight to the king and says, hey, we are not going to do this. And that's where we pick up in Daniel chapter 1, verse 8, if you go there. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I am afraid of my lord the king who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Jump to verse 12. Daniel says, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. One thing is very clear here. One of the strongest cases for vegetarianism in the Bible. <laughs> now, I'm not, I'm not bashing on you if you're a vegetarian. I'm just saying I'll be eating meat after service today, okay? It's my personal preference, but that's not the main point we're getting at here. Okay, the main point, or a couple of the main points is, number one, Daniel was bold. Daniel, in the face of trial, said, I will not disobey my God. I will stand true to what I believe in, and I will not reject him because I know the truths that he's given to me and my people, and I know the truths that I believe, and I will hold on to these. And so we see here Daniel's bold, but also God is faithful through that boldness. God uses that boldness and blesses Daniel. Not only do they look stronger and healthier than the other officials who were on their own diet, but later, and we didn't read in the scriptures, it says that God gave them understandings of all kinds of knowledge and literature. God gave them understanding and interpretations for dreams and visions. We see that in this parallel to our lives, God wants to bless us on the other side of obedience. Not just bless us, but he wants to bless others through you. He wants to bless the people in your communities, the people in your spheres, in your workplaces, in your classrooms. He wants to bless you and bless those around you. And we can see this in Daniel chapter 1, in this story of commitment. So Daniel was bold, and Daniel was faithful. Now I know when we talk about commitment, we all have stories, right, that we could probably think of where we had to have very true commitment to God. And immediately when I was preparing this sermon, I thought of probably the most influential story of commitment in my life. And that was when I was about 11 or 12 years old. For those of you, most of you in the room who don't know, my parents growing up were youth pastors. They were in ministry for about 14, 15 years. And we were at this specific church, a healthy, thriving, growing church. And they knew before they had even gone to that church that they had been called to plant. And this church had the capability to do that. And so it came time at the, at the peak of this church's ministry that they were to go plant church. Now, in that, I, as a child, saw their commitment, saw their dedication to the Lord. Because they were very invested in this church. They'd been there nine, ten years. But through that, they knew the calling on God 
that God had on their lives, and they were still going to go. And through this, it gave me an opportunity for commitment. You see, I had grown up in the church. I had church friends. Church family surrounded me all the time. And so moving to a new place, definitely a smaller church because it was a plant, I didn't have that same community. And in fact, entering those teenage years, I didn't have a youth group or people around me to be pouring into me and to be investing in me and to be going in community together in pursuit of Christ. So when I came to this new area, this new town, small town Minnesota, one, it's a tight-knit community, and so things were hard to kind of break in. It was hard to break in to the small town community. Not only that, I lost all my innocence in about a month, a month or two. I had learned a bunch of new things I had never known before and never learned before, okay? And it was a really hard time for me, not only because certain things were being presented to me, opportunities to participate in things I knew I shouldn't have been participating in, and yet I was, and I was succumbing to temptation. And even some of my best friends were two atheists and a Mormon. And I know you're probably thinking like, what is, what's going on? Well, small town, I didn't necessarily have a lot of people around me in community and it was actually in these trying times and in these times I had to go deeper into my faith where God revealed himself to me and revealed his faithfulness to me. Me and my brothers, we were all we had at that time. And because we were all we had, we had to stay committed to Christ. And it was through this commitment that God used our faithfulness not only to bless our lives but also be a witness to those around us. And this story is important to me, too, because I couldn't have done it without my prayer life. And that brings me to my point number two. Everybody say point number two. Point number two. two, Stand out through prayer. Stand out through prayer. We're going to go back to Daniel, a little bit further along in Daniel. We see here that King Nebuchadnezzar, the same king, is encountered with a dream. A dream that he can't understand, that he doesn't understand. So he summons all of his magicians, all of his sorcerers together. And he says, interpret this dream for me. Let me know what it means. And all the magicians and sorcerers are sitting there like, okay, what's the dream, king? Well, I'm not going to tell you. You just got to interpret it for me. Let me know what I dreamt and let me know the interpretation. Now, this is a soft parallel here. And I ran this by Rachel before I set it on stage to you, so don't worry. But I saw some parallels in marriage here about like, hey, you know, tell me what I'm thinking. Well, I don't necessarily know what you're thinking. And I'm not saying that goes one way. I'm saying that goes both ways, okay? But in this, we see the difficulty that's presented to the king's wise men and the difficulty that's presented to Daniel because Daniel is in this group. He's in this group of wise men. So the word gets to Daniel, and Daniel's like, okay, the king wants us dead if we don't interpret this dream. And so he asks For time with the king. He asks for a chance to interpret this dream. And what does Daniel do? We go right to the scriptures. Daniel chapter 2 verse 14. Through 19. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom intact. He asked the king's officer, why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. At this, Daniel went to the king and asked him for time. So that... He might interpret the dream for him. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. These are their Hebrew names. We know them as their Babylonian names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. 
He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven. What I love in this story is where did Daniel immediately turn to? Prayer. Immediately he went home. He's like, king, I need more time. I'm going to go pray. I'm going to go pray with my friends, and we believe God's going to reveal this vision to us. He had strong faith, strong faith that, that was stirred by the friends around him, and strong faith that he knew he could lean into and press into. And so this, honestly, when I was preparing for my message this morning, convicted me, convicted me of, is prayer always the first thing that I turn to? It said Daniel pleaded before God. He pleaded before the throne of heaven. And honestly, like when I'm presented with the situation, I'm kind of like, a, all right, what can I do to fix this now? Anybody else like that? What can I do immediately right now to help fix this? And if that doesn't work, I got plan B and C, and then I'll figure it all out. And I sometimes catch myself to the point of, I'm realizing, why am I not going to God with this? Why am I not taking this to God? Especially situations where it's going to take more than me to handle. Why am I not pleading before God when things get harder, when I'm stressed out, when I got anxiety? And this is a huge example for my life. And I know for a lot of us in the room, it could be the same way. We see that through this prayer, through this pleading, God answered his prayer gave him the interpretation of the vision. And then what do we see Daniel do right after? Praise God. He praised God. And again, conviction came into me in this moment where if God answers one of my prayers, I do this, this thing right here. Thanks, God. If it was like something I, real, like I was really praying hard for, it might be, thank you so much, God. I'll come on my life. Right? Anybody else? That's, that's honestly sometimes just the extent of what I do. But it says he praised. He was exuberant in his thankfulness for God. I think that's so important for us to see not only this, and this flows into my third point, but Daniel, when he went to go pray concerning this matter, was not alone. Daniel gathered his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were the Babylonian names. And he said, we're going to pray about this together. And this brings me to my third point which is stand out together. Okay, now, as we move along in Daniel, we're moving away specifically from the biblical character of Daniel and focusing on his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. King Nebuchadnezzar's on a roll. He's at it once again. He has constructed this massive gold statue in Babylon. It's about 90 to 100 feet tall for reference. I know us Tulsans will get this reference. The Golden Driller is about 76 feet tall. That's the one on the Tulsa State Fairgrounds. So King Nebuchadnezzar's would have been about 20-ish feet taller than that. And not only did he resurrect this gold statue, but he had a dedication ceremony. Invited all the important people in Babylon to it and gave very specific instructions. When the music plays, you bow down. Now, there were three men that weren't going to do that. And we can see through the story that they absolutely did not do that. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were not going to forsake their God. They were going to stand out together and they were going to be committed to the truths that they knew God stood for and the truths that he wanted them to stand for. So when the music played, everybody bowed and they didn't. King took notice, summoned them, 
So why aren't you bowing down? I said, we're not going to bow down to your majesty. We worship the God in heaven, amen? There we go. <laughs> so we're going to turn to the scripture here, all right? Daniel chapter 3, verse 16. Because they wouldn't bow down, the king was getting ready to throw them in the fiery furnace. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you've set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. The king Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, your majesty. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Here, the first point I want to make is, these friends are fearless. They're young men and they're fearless. Verse 17 through 18 says, oh, he'll save us. Our God will deliver us from this fire. But even if he doesn't, we will never bow to your majesty's hand. What we see here is their dedication to God was not conditional. Again, something that convicted me as I was preparing for this this sermon this morning. Their dedication to God to the point of death was not conditional. They were going to serve him regardless. Their faith was extraordinary. Our God will deliver us from the fire. But yet, their commitment to God, the way that they stuck together in their commitment to God, was incredible as well. Even if he doesn't, we will never bow to you. And so we see here, get friends that stick close, that are on the same page, that are serving God, and that will never, never reject Christ. Now, I think that where we are today, where we are this morning, is a wonderful place for that Christian chapel. Like I said five years ago, is when I came here, roughly, and I instantly found community, instantly found connection, and I can say that, you know, to this day, some of my best friends go here, and I didn't necessarily know them before I came to Christian Chapel. And this is my plug to where if we want to be involved in strong, healthy Christian community, we want to stick together, the local church is the place for that, am I right? The local church is where we need to be plugged in. If you've been coming here, and you've been going faithfully, giving faithfully, awesome, The next step is plug yourself in, small group, home group, chapel youth, chapel kids, host, worship. There's so many awesome people to get to know and so many awesome people to to work for God alongside and to stand as an example to the rest of the world. I know when I look at, again, the example of standing together, I can pull from multiple examples in my life. The first, of course, being me and my brothers in high school. It was tough. But we had each other. We stuck together. And God used that for his glorification. Second, I think to my buddies in college. Which, honestly, college for me was the first time I had real friendship and community outside of my brothers. And those guys who became 
my second set of brothers. One year we had decided to go on a hiking expedition to Arkansas, okay? And we were going to go and hike and camp over the course of three or four days. Uh, we did the first day, eight miles, set up camp. Overall, it was about a 26, 28-mile loop. Second day, we woke up and somebody was like, hey, it'd be really nice to get an AC tonight. It'd be really nice to eat some junk food tonight and not these little peanut butter crackers. And it'd be super nice uh, if we did that while we watched a movie. So I, that's where I, that was my mindset. That's where I wanted to be. Now, I think one or two of the other guys, they caught the drift. One guy was like really wanting to take the time. But regardless, we decided we were going to stick together and hiked the rest of that 17, 18 miles in one day. And at the end of that, exhausted, wiped out. But that's just a small example of how, because we stuck together, and despite the fact that we had to pause at certain times, we did it together because we couldn't leave one person behind. We couldn't just abandon them. We were able to make it to the end with each other's encouragement. Now, that's a lighter example. Heavier example includes the same group of guys in college, we shared life together. We shared our experiences, our struggles. And it was very apparent very quickly that we all shared temptation and sin in the area of lust and pornography. And we set up an accountability system to tackle this. This is something we took very seriously. And for most of us, it was the first time we had ever tried something in terms of accountability to tackle this sort of temptation. And I can tell you confidently that through that community, that was the beginning of me and my journey of totally overcoming that, as well as those other guys in that group as well. When we stand together in that, when you stand together united against sin, against the things of culture, against the things that the world tells you should be okay and are totally fine, you are inspired, you allow God to speak to you, and God will use you as an example for others. And so through this, through our transformation, through my friend's change of heart and myself, my change of heart, we saw that God was glorified in that. And that brings me to my final and my fourth point, which is that standing out glorifies God. We've seen through many examples today in the book of Daniel that Daniel's expeditions, his exploits, are all in glorification of God. Time and time again, he points back to God. Time and time again, his friends stand as an example for God. Now here in our final example, Daniel is now under the reign of King Darius. And he's still a leader. He's still an administrator. No surprise here, right? He is ruling over about 120 other administrators. Scripture refers to them as satraps, okay? But he's one of three in all of Babylon and all of the governmental hierarchy. So he has a very important role, a very prominent role. And because he does his job so well, and because he is faithful in his duties to the king, others take notice in good ways, but also bad ways. And it says some of the other administrators became jealous and tried to think of a way to get Daniel out of the position he was in. So right away, we see that Daniel and his righteous life that he leads glorifies God. Secondly, we see that as these people search and find something to get Daniel with, they can't. He lives a righteous life, and God is glorified in this. 
as they search, they finally come to a conclusion. The only way we're going to get Daniel to mess up is going after that relationship that he has with his God. The only way we're going to get Daniel is if we come after the one thing we know he will never abandon. Isn't that an amazing testimony on Daniel's end? I mean, that's, in, that's incredible that not one thing in his life they could get him on except his devotion to God. And God is glorified through that devotion. So these administrators, these leaders, they go to King Darius, who, by the way, is fond of Daniel and his work, and says, hey, great king, why don't you just make a law that for the next 30 days, nobody should pray to anything or anybody else except for you. King Darius, he doesn't know the one true God. Okay, signs it in the law. And immediately the administrators know Daniel's routine. He prays three times a day. They go, they catch him, and they go report it to the king. King is distressed. King is anxious. He doesn't want to lose Daniel as a good administrator. He also wants to save face as the king. And so he does what he feels like he has to do and send Daniel to the lion's den. And that's where we pick up scripture. Daniel chapter 6, verse 19 through 27. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice. Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, may the king live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. At the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den, along with their wives and children. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Then King Darius wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language in all the earth. May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. Isn't that an amazing testimony? This king, just a short while ago, made a law saying that you're only to pray to me. And here at the, near the end of the chapter, we see he's turning around and he's giving God all the glory because of Daniel's example and Daniel's witness. And if I could use every single person's life in here as a parallel, not only does God deserve to be glorified at the highest levels of leadership to a, from a king who was over one of the most powerful empires at the time, but he deserves to be glorified in every single one of our spheres, every single one of our workspaces, our classrooms, our schools, the places we interact with others. It's an incredible opportunity and an incredible call and an inheritance that I feel like we receive from Daniel. God deserves all the glory that we can give him. Not only this, but Daniel's faithfulness also brought justice. The people that tried to kill him, the very people that wanted him out, wanted him dead, were themselves put into the lion's den along with their families. His faithfulness brought justice to Daniel's life. 
So we see here that ultimately, standing out takes commitment in a culture that rejects God, in a culture that denies God, a culture that rejects us as Christians. Believe in sexual identity the way I do. Believe in life the way I do. Believe in spirituality the way I do. If you don't, I don't want anything to do with you. If you don't, you're an outcast. It takes commitment. Number two, it takes prayer. You've got to have a strong prayer life. Standing out is not for the faint of heart. Standing out should be incredibly encouraging because we don't have to do it on our own. That brings us to the third point today, which is we stand out together. We stand out with people that we are surrounded by as a church community. This right here is what can inspire us and help us stand out amidst the many trials that life brings. And lastly, we know that standing out is to glorify God. Through all of this, God is glorified. Now the band is going to lead us in a song as we close this morning. I want to invite you to go ahead and stand on your feet as the band comes as well. And as we do, I want you to keep in mind a couple things. Number one, God deserves our glory that we can give him, no matter the situation, no matter the circumstance. They're going to lead us in a song called Firm Foundation. And it's from this firm foundation that we stand out. God's been faithful in the past to our spiritual ancestors, our spiritual mother and fathers. He's been faithful, I know, in each and every single one of our lives. So this is the, this is the foundation we stand on, is, is his word. The foundation we stand on is his truth, is his righteousness. And we can lean into that. We can press into that. So as they lead us, ask God what are ways that you can stand out where you are what are ways that you can be a witness to other people and ultimately what are the ways that God can be glorified in all levels at all spaces and at all times let's go ahead and pray real quick God thank you so much for who you are just your nature God, we give you glory because you deserve it we give you glory because you're worthy, Jesus. I just pray that you'd use our lives, use them as a testament for you, as an example of what a healthy Christian life looks like, God, what, what pursuing you looks like. I pray for every single person in this room and the things that you may speak to them this morning, to be open to the ways that they can glorify you further in their lives and the ways that they can further stand out in the places that they're called. We honor you, we reverence you, we thank you, Jesus, for who you are. In your name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christian Chapel. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com.